Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll talk to Michael Wilbon about the stellar defense displayed at the All-Star Game. That was something, wasn't it? <laughs> and we'll talk about Lefty Giselle and more with Jay Billis. But first, how about a little commerce? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. I will say on the coverage from a distance, it's one of those things where if you... If you blur your eyes a little bit, it kind of looks like whatever you want it to look like, which I think might be the point. Maybe. I just, I can't get past the fact that it looks hungry, <laughs> that it hasn't eaten in a long time. Emaciated tiger. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not great. Uh, by the way, for those of you wondering why I haven't talked at great length about NBA games last night, it's because I don't have to. This is my <laughs> podcast. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So let's talk about All-Star Weekend in the NBA briefly, because Michael Wilbon will talk about it later. And I'm curious as to what he thinks about the All-Star game. The uh, Rising Stars game stinks. The Celebrity game is the worst thing in the history of mankind. I, I, I didn't even bother to tune in on that. It's awful. It's god-awful. Um, I watched the skills contest for five minutes and said, I, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. I wanted to watch Steph Curry against Sabrina Unescu. But it was going to be on after the other one. Right. And I didn't want to stay up. I yeah. didn't care yeah. about the other one. I didn't care about the dunk contest. Good for Mac McClung. I mean, fine. He's not even in the league. It's Two little... years in a row, he's not even right. in the league. I, I care about him because he played a year or two at Georgetown. And he's from Virginia. And he's a great scorer and probably a wonderful kid. But come on. And then we get to the game itself. And, and you know how Tiger's clothing line is Sun Day Red? Yeah. The game was red, hot garbage. <laughs> and I stopped after a little bit over a quarter. It ended up when team scored over 200 points. It's an embarrassment to the league. It's, an, it's a joke. It, the, the, the NBA has finally achieved parity with the NFL in one thing and one thing only, because God knows it's not ratings, in the fact that their all-star game is every bit as bad as the Pro Bowl was. And they dumped the Pro Bowl. Yeah. And they dumped the Pro Bowl because nobody is going to play any defense. Nobody wants to get hurt. And in the NBA, the last 30 games come up now. You get paid for what you do in the playoffs, essentially. I mean, you get raises for what you do in the playoffs. Nobody's going to play defense and get hurt. Nobody's going to extend themselves with 30 games to go. And they shouldn't. They owe it to their teams and the people that pay them not to get hurt. It's a terrible game. Luka Doncic threw up a shot, and I use the word throw up exactly in context, <laughs> from the opposite foul line. What are you doing? That's ridiculous. What are you doing? The players are laughing at themselves, laughing at the league, laughing at Adam Silver. This is, to quote Michael Ray Wilbon, hocus pocus junk. <laughs> okay, so we move on. Two things happened that were very interesting to me. Um, in, in the last 24 hours. One is that Mark Lerner said the Nats are not for sale. That's great news that the Nats are not for sale. There's probably reasons that are better and more legitimate than what I'm going to say. But I'm good. what I'm going to say is maybe the only buyer was Ted Leonsis. And maybe he understood the villainy of what Ted Leonsis is doing with the Capitals and the Wizards, moving them out of Washington, D.C. after swearing he would never do that. Villainy. And maybe he thought, well, he might move the baseball team to Virginia. I don't want that. I live in the District of Columbia. My sisters live in the District of Columbia. I don't want that. So I'm not going to sell it to him. Good, if that's the reason. Whatever the reason is. I don't care what the reason is. I'm glad, because they've been good owners, except for the last couple of years, when they put the team up for sale and they didn't really spend any money. Now maybe they'll spend some money. Yeah. They don't have to spend all of it. They don't have to be the Dodgers. They don't have to be the Mets. Just spend a little money. 
Sort of and, feels and, like the spring housing market. You look at a house that's been sitting for a year and a half now, and you go, oh, we're going to take this off. And then, you know, if we put it back on with a reduced price, we don't have to say it had a price reduction. It's brand spanking new. Um, yeah, you okay. just sort of laugh and say, wow, if you if you weren't going to sell, I wish you didn't gut the entire team and sort of decimate your fan base there. But uh, in your positive reading, maybe you look at this and say, the key to this all along was Masson, and with new owners up 95, that could get resolved in the Masson near future. Has, has no and all of a sudden, there's, there's a path yeah. for us to stay here right so that would be really good now if it ends up if it ends up that the games are on ted leonsis's network that's all he cares about anyway he doesn't have to own the team he just wants to have the games on monumental yeah i don't know what happens to masson i mean this is something from mark Lerner and david rubenstein i guess to work out you know i with with an honest broker rob manford i guess i mean i don't i don't know but i'm glad they're going to keep the team and then i did something last night that i do every single year because i I think it's important. I try to watch a little bit of the Daytona 500. The Daytona 500 started at 4 o'clock. Michael, did you watch any of it? I did not because of the weather. Because of the weather? Wasn't there the delay or or was that the day before? Yeah, they they canceled it on Sunday. They they ran it on Monday. Right, I'm just saying that because of that, it was no longer on my radar. All right. Sean, did you watch any of it? I did not. Okay. Nigel? No. Okay, then bear with me for a little while. I watch it because it's the most important stock car race. It's not the Super Bowl. It's not the World Series. It's not. But it's the most important stock car race. And some years back, ESPN bought the NASCAR contract for four or five years. And, and it really wasn't for Mike and me. It, it, it honestly wasn't. It's not what we do. It's not what we grew up with. It's very... Stock car racing is a cultural thing. It's very important. You have to sort of like it as a kid and understand it. If not, you don't really understand what's going on, except they're going around in a circle. And you go, what are you doing? This is important. (laughs) Anyway, um, they used to give us drivers to put on as guests four or five times a year. And we had Jimmy Johnson. It was great. Dale Earnhardt Jr. was great. They were great guests. My favorite was Brad Keselowski. He's a wonderful guest. I mean, Mike and I promoted the thing as best as we could. We didn't care. I mean, I got a chance to go to Richmond and sit in a car with Jimmy Johnson, which was a great thrill for me. But I, you know, I can't tell you. For me, it's soccer. It's just not me. You know, it's not what I do. I respect it, admire it, but it's not what I do. But you need to understand what they're doing out there. They are literally going 180 miles an hour with one inch between their back bumper and the other guy's front bumper. They're going 180 miles an hour. They're three across on a, on a bank track. You, you, you can't, it's, it's unbelievable what they do. It is. They're acrobats. They're fearless acrobats. You can't believe it. So I watched. It sounds and I like got, 95 in Florida. Yeah, it's pretty much like 95 in Florida, but you can go if you're like me. You can get off the road. Right. These guys keep going, and it's 500 miles. It's like not three laps. It's 500 miles. So I got there with about 40 laps to go. And I came in and out, drifted in and out. With about 20 laps to go, I looked at it in, in, in seriousness. Um, you know, I know a couple of names. Keslowski was near the top. Joey Logano, who I've, whose name I know, was near the top. I, I can't even tell you who won the race. It's William Byron, I think. I don't, I don't even know. William Jennings Bryan, maybe? And it's not William Jennings Bryan. I think it's William Byron. And he was interviewed after the race. He was perfectly charming. He's a kid, 26 years old. I don't know him. It doesn't matter. So I'm watching the people who I know a little bit I, and, you know, and like a little bit, and I'm paying attention. And with about five laps to go, Keselowski's sitting third, maybe, and there's a little bit of an opening in the two cars ahead of him. And he goes for it because they want to win. They want to win. There's no reason... You bide your time until you can win the race. It's Herman Edwards would say, why do we play the game? We play to win the game. And Keselowski tries to go through, and the rear end of his car gets hit as another car, a white car. Keselowski's in a dark car, a white car. Sort of goes a little bit sideways to the right and hits the rear end of Keselowski. And then, you know, 80 guys. 80 guys spin around, and the race is essentially over at that point. Well... You may have heard me say on this show in my lifetime that the most wonderful event I ever saw on television was when the Indianapolis 500 was tape delayed, and they had time to recreate everything that happened, time to interview people. This is in real time. They have cameras everywhere in these cars, everywhere. 
you get to see the driver when the car gets hit. You get to see the wheel literally spin around like in The Exorcist. And the driver's got to take his hands off it or his wrists will break. And you see how they come to stops and then they get banged around a little bit more. And you say to yourself, I would never, ever, ever do this for a living. But the photography, the camera work, the technology that they have makes it amazing. And they go to that for like the next for the next seven laps. They're showing you all of this while the rest of the race is going on. I mean, the race ended under a caution, which is, you know, it's it's not the way you want it. I yeah. think I didn't even know the race was over. I mean, all of a sudden I went into the kitchen and then I came back and the race was over and I didn't know how it happened. <laughs> so I'm the wrong person to talk to about any of these things. But the photography, the camera work, the technology inside the car and outside the car. So you see, you see camera work as to when your car bangs into someone else, you see that from the outside. When someone bangs into you, you see that from the outside. And your reaction you see from the inside, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. I'm sorry you didn't see it because it's a complete wow. It, that, that sort of camera work, I know this isn't exactly apples to apples, but it reminds me of what they did with the, the horse racing. It's like, we're going interview, right. to interview the, the jockey. That's different with the outriders. Yeah, but it's sort of like that, that it's look. It's an innovation. Yeah. It's an innovation that you never expect. And, and, it's, and it's, it's great. Now, I'm not going to watch a single minute of NASCAR from now on. Yeah. Uh, NASCAR fans will watch. I have tremendous respect for NASCAR. It's just not... It's not anything that I watch, but I, always, I watch that every year. I watch the Indy 500 every year. I try to get there for the end. Yeah. Try to time it out, figure it out, and get there for the end. Hard to go cover to cover with those. Wow. It's 500 miles <laughs> of, of making a big left. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all it is. It is. It's no, it's but the, the fans will be like, no, the old strategy and everything. It. They love every it. lap. Yeah. yeah, no, they're, yeah. Uh, that's all I really had to say. Uh, we will have Wilbon when we return? Yes. Okay, Michael Wilbon when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a band called Two Hour Window. It was formed in 2015 in Weirton, West Virginia by two Maryland transplants, John Morton and Jeff Berry. Initially met because of their love of the band Kicks. First planning to start an acoustic cover band quickly changed into writing and recording original songs. After the band took a backseat to work in family, they've now returned to writing and recording new material. Their debut album, Should Have Seen You Coming, was released in last November. This is a song called Should Have Seen You Coming, sent to us by Jeff Berry. It's a nice, loud band. Yeah. Yeah, I like this. Two hour window. Michael Wilbon. We have two topics. You can take them in any order you want. We can talk about the All Star game and how you feel sure. about that. And we can talk about Lefty Giselle. Any order you want. Uh, I, Tony, I didn't watch the All Star game. And I, it's not like this is new. And I keep hearing these reports that Adam Silver was upset. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. You had every chance to fix this and you didn't do it because your league is obsessed with the in season tournament that you can pay people to be interested in. I'm not going to be more interested in your all-star junk than your players are. Why would, why would anybody be more interested in the all-star game than the actual NBA players who don't give a damn about they don't, it? As they, a don't. Competition? they don't care. They don't. No. And it's, this is not new. This has been going on for, for 10, 15 years. It's just garbage. Okay? 
And somebody want to call me if they hear this from the NBA. So, oh, you shouldn't say that. No, it's garbage. It's okay. I said it before. I called it red Good. hot garbage. Good. That's exactly what it is. So if I, they I want don't... to fix it, they can. But well, they don't, they don't I, let care. me talk about this with you because I know you you think that it's fixable by playing. American players US, against US the rest of the world. world. But yeah. I don't know because of this, Mike. Because when you get out of the All-Star break, there's 30 games left. You yeah. can't risk getting hurt before well, those 30 games. Game. That's go, what go, I think. Go, you, you're like, do like it like the Pro, the Pro Bowl. Bowl. Forget it's it. Pro Bowl. It's just, Garbage. Get out of here. Get ba- out. Okay. Go away. Get out, of, get out of our lives. I'm like, I'm not watching that. I didn't watch one month. I went to see Adele. Are you yeah. kidding me? That's good. Good job. A five, it's a good choice. Five minutes. She walks on stage at eight fifteen. At eight nineteen, I was completely in tears because she walked out and she did hello to yeah. start the show. That's a product, not the All Star game. Okay, so we're we're in agreement on that. I, you know, the only thing that I would have watched was Steph Curry against Sabrina Unescu, yeah. but it was on yeah. after the yeah. other three point because I didn't I didn't stay. I didn't stay. Well, you get. I heard it was good. I heard it was good. No, no, it wasn't good. It was great. It was good. But That's good to know. You get the streaming because you can watch all things. You don't have to watch them when they're on. Nobody watches appointment viewing anyway. They watch things they want to watch, and there'll be a menu up there. It'll say Anescu versus Curry. Click go, and you watch it. All right, so, so we'll move. I, we'll I, move know, away from I that. Too. We're moving away from that, and we're going to get to lefty, and it's four days gone. Because Lefty passed away at age 92 yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. You knew Lefty actually better than I knew Lefty. You covered some of I Lefty, did, did you years. not? You, you covered, <laughs> you covered writer, Lefty. Yeah. The only yeah. note that I have is in this one city, um, Washington, D.C., yeah. you have John Thompson and Gary Williams, who are giants, who are in the Hall of Fame, who are national champions. Yeah. And prior to both of them, you have Lefty Drizel, who who is, I think, one of, if not the greatest showman ever in college basketball, right? You would agree with that, wouldn't you, Mike? Well, in the time, you know, that he was doing this, yeah, I mean, he was yeah. he was way up there. The thing is, Tony, his light was dimmed because he had to go against Dean Smith. Yes, his nemesis. And, and, and even, I mean, you know, and, and there were other great teams in the conference. I mean, Norm Sloan. And, and it overlapped with Mike Krzyzewski, but Mike came in like 1981 or two or something like that. And so Lefty was already, you know, toward the end of his Maryland run, which ended in 86. 86. Of course, with the death with of Lynn Bias. Bias. But yeah, but I, I, I covered, it, Tony, to, for this area, and people don't even realize, to have John Thompson, Joe Gibbs, Lefty Giselle at one time. Yeah. At one time, their 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 games were events. Their teams were worthy. Their teams were always worthy. I mean, Lefty Drizel lost a game which 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 changed March Madness. Yes, Lefty Drizel losing to NC State, whatever that score was, one hundred three one hundred in overtime oh, when only right. one, team one team made qualified. the tournament, and those were the two best teams, two of the three best teams in the, in the country. Yeah, That's right. UCLA. So, yeah. so Lefty's Lefty is more was more star crossed than anybody. I mean, he's going to add Moses Malone to a team that has <laughs> John Lucas. Yeah, they're going to win on. two championships. They are. Lefty, yeah, they are. Tony, their story, the, the, the Lefty stories, and there's so there's just so many great ones. I mean, I I was young and I didn't appreciate it as I probably should have. But I was around for it. The memories are etched forever. And Lefty telling stories, and Lefty with his, one of his assistants was Will Jones. I mean, the assistant coaches that he had were amazing. And the players that he tried to recruit, and everybody said, well, Lefty's a great recruiter. Well, you know, and they would compare that. Dean Smith's a great coach. Lefty's a great recruiter. Dean Smith never had anybody on his team that Maryland was recruiting. What? And, and Lefty couldn't get anybody that Dean wanted. That's so right. how great a recruiter was he? He, he? he got short shrift on how, what a great coach he was. He took, I will say this all day, he, he has 
100 or more victories at four different schools. When yeah. Lefty Drizel stopped coaching, the only people with more victories than him, the only people were Adolf Rupp, his demesis, Dean Smith, and Bob Knight. Those are the only three. Well, okay, that's, that's like, <laughs> you know, you could make that at one point, that was the Mount Rushmore of college yes. basketball. And, yes. and, and it still, to some degree, could be. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, look, Lefty, Lefty did something. I mean, I know he, he caught Tony. He was such a star-crossed figure because even his own boosters, even the people who were close to him, they would just be so exasperated sometimes because of certain losses. Um, and, I, you know, I mean, Lefty had a couple of Moby Dicks, and and yes. and Dean Smith was certainly the primary one. And uh, I remember, I mean, I sat, I was at courtside for these huge, huge games. The game where Jordan, where Michael Jordan ends the game with the dunk that ends up being the Jumpman logo. The Jumpman logo comes from a thing, a dunk, at the University of Maryland. I'm sitting under the basket. I'm going to see it my whole life, live. Where Jordan, you know, goes up and the legs come out and he's the right hand's extended. And that happened against Lefty in Maryland. It infuriated Lefty. It infuriated him. And he wanted to get back at Dean Smith and, and Jordan and Carolina. They go to they go to they go to to Chapel Hill and Maryland's leading with like no time left almost. And Lefty has Chuck Drizell in the game, who had played great. He was reticent to put his son in. He put the sun in. Chuck played great that night. I don't know the sequence, I'm just, but I covered the game. And Chuck Drizell's going in for a layup that's going to give Lefty, going to give his father a victory over Dean Smith in Carmichael. Not the Dean Dome, in Carmichael. And Michael Jordan comes from what seems to be the top of the circle to block the shot, crash into Chuck Drizell, it could have been either goaltending or foul to free throws or both. There, of course, was no call. No call. No call. There's no call, and Lefty loses that game. It's almost a brawl at Carmichael. And, I mean, it, it, listen, look, I covered the John Thompson teams, and there was a certain cultural importance and vigor and, and necessity to Georgetown that Maryland, sorry Maryland fans, did not have because Georgetown was national. But – but the games involving some of those Maryland teams, Tony, I will never, ever forget them. And, and that goes right to the end. They included Lynn Bias. Yes, and, and this needs to be said. <clears throat> the collateral damage in Len Bias is Charles Grice Drizell. He's the collateral damage. I remember going yeah. to that gym, going to Cole, when Lefty got up to talk and when he turned his back and walked off the podium and out the door, I sat there and I said, he will never coach here again. That. And I wrote I it in a that. column. And people yeah. said to me, are you sure? And I go, he'll never. It's over. It's over. And it was. It was over. It was. And, it was. and that yeah. was. There's the true damage, of course, is Len Bias overdosed and died. But that spread out. To Lefty yeah. Drizel. Yeah. To Lefty yeah, Drizel. It, it, it hit the football program. Yes. Bobby Ross, who was a coach. Bobby Ross went to coach. He didn't want to deal with a lot of other stuff that came that started to come along at the time in college athletics. And Bobby Ross winds up leaving Maryland earlier than I think he would have otherwise. And he goes to Georgia Tech and wins something called the national championship, which Maryland football hasn't been close to. Bobby Ross left Maryland and did that elsewhere. Yeah. And he left. His good coach. You know, I mean, it, you know, the, the, the Lynn Bias's death, it, it just... It, uh, the ripples of that were felt yeah. for decades, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could, talk, only, we know, could talk to Gary. Gary had to climb out yes. from under that. Yes. The had national championship. Yes. amazing. Had to yes. dig out of that. Yes, yes, and Gary knows more about it than anybody because he followed it as his alma mater. Yeah. But, yeah, man, Lefty, um, you know, to think that Dean and, and – I mean, I'm sorry, that, that, that Lefty and John Thompson are gone. Uh, and Wes Unseld. I mean, you know, basketball here, 
those those three men are absolute and total giants. Absolute There's no question giants. about that. And, uh, and Lefty to, would to, Lefty would of course fracture the English language and try to fight writers. He would he would he would try to fight them. Well, <laughs> Lefty's big. Lefty's big. Lefty's big and brawling, and you know, and I don't know, you know, and he would he would call things statistics. Well, show me the statistics on that. You know, it was. Listen, I I wound up as a young writer going to Lefty's house, and Mama cooked. He he made Joyce make me pancakes. This is a true story. Lefty would no, no, thank you. So I said, I'll let Mama cook you some hotcakes. Yeah, I mean, he was, was he was, was it, it's a phrase used a lot, but he was larger than life. And yeah. his legacy yeah. is he invented Midnight Madness. He, he invented it. Midnight Madness. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Cole Fieldhouse, the lefty Giselle walking into Cole Fieldhouse before North Carolina games, Virginia games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not Duke, not Duke. No, no not no, then. No, not, not then. Duke, not then. That period was you know, not with Bill Foster. No, not there yet. And then you know, yeah, I guess there was some Foster games, a couple, uh, some Bill but it Foster. was North was Carolina, around. North Carolina, yeah. and yeah, Lefty, yeah. Lefty hated Dean's guts. <laughs> he did. He hated him. He, no, he, he well, but you know, but Tony, he did. Yeah, he did. I can't. I was trying he to did. talk about it. <laughs> and Lefty but, was himself a Duke grad. Oh, yeah. A Duke Lefty, grad, a Duke grad. And, and would try to downplay his own intellect. Probably he had a great line in uh, from Lefty. And you, you could just hear him saying it. That Lefty said he got through school because, you know, Mama wrote all his papers. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> just oh. great. And, I, you know, there's some, you know, I mean, it was some stuff. There was some, Lefty got sideways, you know, but. I mean, I'll just say this because I, I could talk about this all day. He, he had a he had the pictures of his all Americans, of his all American players. He had them in the office, and they were on blocks in his office. And he had the faces up there of uh, Elmore and McMillan and John Lucas. And he had one up there for a while with Moses Malone. On. Yeah. And Moses, of course, did not go. Lefty, the story about Lefty the night before the signing deadline. Uh, or the signing period starting, that Lefty slept. He, I think he and Will Jones slept in a car with like a rifle <laughs> in Petersburg, yeah. and they were going to be at Lefty's family home, his mother's home, at like six o'clock in the morning to get him to sign the letter of intent. That Moses is home. Yeah, Moses is home. Moses Lefty's is home, home. And he was yeah. saying, you know, Moses were son. Moses were dying for. Yeah. And Lefty just knew if he could get Moses, that he could be Dean. Who's going to argue with that team? Let me just say this. I don't even say the other names. Moses Malone, and I think it would have been a, a freshman, sophomore, John Lucas. Come on now. They're going to what? win. They're going to win the title. They're going to win the title. Win. And then just... he had another picture up there, and, and I wrote about this. I wrote that the next block, he had an empty block on the wall in 1985. And I wrote that the next face up there was going to be Len Bice. Sure. Of course, of course, and, it changed. Uh, it changed. Know. It changed history. It changed yeah. history. It changed it, the NBA's history. It did because he would because he I goes to the Celtics and they win twenty the titles. I mean, the bad boys do they win? They got to go through. I mean, no. they, they had a hard enough time going through Bird and McHale without bias. Now they're going to have them, apparently. Yeah. And then the Bulls. I mean, how many does Jordan? Is, does Jordan have four or three? Because because Jordan always says that. Jordan knows how great bias was. And so, it, yeah, it changed not just the course of the University of Maryland and college basketball. Well, it didn't really change college basketball. It changed the NBA. Changed it. All yeah, right. I'll talk season. to you later. I'll talk to All you right, later. Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, we'll take a break. Jay Billis will also talk about Lefty Drizel when we come back. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, the group is called Two Hour Window. One of the members, Jeff Berry, has sent us all of this music. This is called Take Me Home. They're really quite good. Michael, if original artists like Two Hour Window want to send in original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. So if you thought it was enough to talk about Lefty with me and Wilbon, it's not. Jay Billis is going to talk about Lefty Drizel because Jay Billis played 
against teams coached by Lefty Drizel. And I'll just start with the with the large balloon here. You know, your overall thoughts of Lefty Drizel and his place in history. Well, he was a great coach, as you know, Tony, but uh, he was more than that. I, I, he was one of the great characters that uh, that we had in sports. And he was he always had a quote. Uh, he was always great with uh, he was great with us as opposing players. Uh, I loved Lefty. And even when their teams were, you know, beating us or whatever, they beat us in the 19, 1984 ACC tournament championship uh, game. Um, and that was his first ACC tournament title. And, uh, uh, you know, we were kind of hurt about it, obviously losing the game. But watching him celebrate and, uh, and how meaningful it was to him when he was fighting the entrenched power of the ACC for all those years, uh, was really kind of cool. You know, he said, he, I, I, if I remember right, he said he was going to strap the trophy to his car, uh, <laughs> to the hood of his car, and ride around Tobacco Road with it. And uh, uh, I think the last time I talked to him, he called me, uh, it was probably a couple years ago. I talked to him since then. The last time we talked on the phone, he called me, and he, I think he was trying to get uh, some consideration for Tom McMillan for the Hall of Fame. And, uh, and he said, you know, Tom McMillan was a road scholar. And none of you boys at Duke did that. (laughs) (laughs) But Lefty's himself a Duke grad. Lefty's a Duke Duke grad. grad. Yeah. Um, He never went real. When he recruited Johnny Dawkins, and Johnny ultimately said no to Lefty, you know, he grew up in D.C. and went to Mac and Catholic. When he uh, told him he was going to go to Duke, uh, you know, Lefty was like, why would you do that? And uh, and Johnny said, "Well, Coach, I I, I wanted to go where you went." <laughs> it's a good line. It's a good line. He never went real far to recruit. He, he he didn't do that. Like he never recruited you, right? I mean, he he recruited in a, a very localized Maryland, Virginia area, right? I think so. I mean, they they had they had some players from just outside there, but yeah, he had so much talent there in the. You know, the Baltimore, Maryland area, uh, you know, yeah. D.C., Virginia, he didn't have to go that far. And, uh, you know, he went down to North Carolina, recruited guys, got Keith Gatlin out of North Carolina. Um, and uh, But, you know, I think he felt like that area uh, was, was so fertile with talent, there wasn't the need to go anywhere. And, you know, when he first got there, you know, he was at Davidson. He was, I think he said, you know, he wanted to make it the UCLA of the East. And, yes. and he had some great teams. I mean, you know, we, and Cole Fieldhouse back then, and Gary Williams, to, he was the one that kind of brought it back to lefty-esque and then beyond. Um, but he went into Cole Fieldhouse, and, and there, there was nowhere that was more difficult to play in the years I was in the ACC than Cole. He had McMillan, he had Elmore, he had Albert King, he had John Lucas, and he never got Moses. Now, you watched a lot of basketball in your life. My opinion, Wilbon's opinion, is if you get Moses Malone, you're going to win at least one, probably two championships. That Moses was that good. Do you agree with that? Yes. Um, I mean, you know, Moses Malone was, uh, was NBA-ready as a senior in high school, and back then that was unheard of. Uh, you just didn't didn't think that way or, or feel that way about about anyone. You felt that way about Moses Malone. But yeah, I think you know. And the other guy, I think he 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 really wanted Danny Ferry. Uh, yes. Uh, and Danny grew up in D.C. and uh, and I remember there they I I was told they took Danny up. I don't know if this is true, but I was told this. I, I should ask Danny. I just saw him the other day, but they took him up in a helicopter and they had his name up uh, written on Cole Fieldhouse. And I don't I don't know. You know, I wouldn't have been impressed by that, but maybe, maybe, maybe Danny would have been. He ended up at Duke. He didn't. He, yeah, he didn't. The ACC at the time you played. Um, some of the coaches. There's Mike Shishovsky. There's Norman Sloan. There's Lefty. There's Terry Holland. There's Bobby Kremens. There's Dean Smith. I'm probably leaving. Probably leaving somebody. Who coached Wake then? Was Odom at, at Wake at that point when you were playing? It was Carl Tacey. Uh, Odom replaced okay. Tacey later on. There was somebody in between, but uh, Bob Stack was in between. But, uh, yeah, uh, Carl Tacey had some great teams at, uh, at Wake. Those are unbelievably great coaches. I mean, I understand why Lefty's coaching acumen would get lost in that, right? Because he was portrayed more as a caricature than a coach, and that would never have happened to Dean. Never. That would never happen. 
Well, I, I think I think the the biggest impediment to maybe people understanding how good Lefty was as a coach was probably Dean Smith. Um, hmm. the, at that time, there were only eight teams in the ACC. Georgia Tech had just come in uh, in the probably late seventies, early eighties, whatever it was, and uh, and Bobby Cremens took over there. And Bobby was as big a character as uh, as Lefty was, just in a little bit of a different way. But uh, Dean, Dean Smith had his boot on the neck of, of the whole league, and yes. everybody thought that you know he was getting all the calls. He had all the officials in his pocket. I don't think any of that was true, but that was the perception of it. And he was the genius, and everyone else was was just kind of you know fumbling around in the dark. And Lefty had been so close and had so many great teams that uh, uh, you know he was always seen as the even though he was a big time winner there was a, a thought that he was kind of the lovable loser too. And uh, I don't, certainly that wasn't fair, but aside from, from people like you, Tony, and I'm not just saying this, but aside from people like you that really covered the game, I'm not sure that media was as savvy back then. They didn't have the analytics that they have now that make it a lot easier to determine uh, sort of quality of, of play. And uh, so there was a lot of speculation back then, I would call it, about why things had happened. And uh, because Lefty did have great players. I mean, my favorite thing was, uh, was Buck Williams. He was my favorite Maryland player. I never played against him. I had to play against Ben Coleman, which was never any fun. But they, uh, it, and it wasn't a sanctioned thing, but I remember, I remember seeing this at Maryland. Uh, there was a poster of Buck Williams kind of, you know, he's so, he had an unbelievable body. He's like Adonis. And he was all oiled up, uh, palming a basketball. And the, the poster said, don't F with Buck. And I was like, that's <laughs> the best poster I've ever seen. <laughs> I like that. Um, Wilbon said this, it's totally true. Uh, Dean was was Lefty's white whale. He, he was. I mean, his nemesis, his white whale, his resin debt for, for everything that he did, right? I mean, that Dean probably didn't think that way about Lefty. He had bigger fish to fry than Lefty, but Lefty's whole life was based on beating Dean. His whole life. But that was the whole league, though, Tony. I mean, back then, um, you know, everybody had trouble beating North Carolina. If you beat them, it was a storm the court, hang a banner, you know, pictures yeah. all over the locker room type of event. And uh, and there was a lot of jealousy of Dean Smith uh, at that time. Uh, everything they did, people would uh, would get their noses out of joint. I mean, one of the one of the things I remember was, you know, back in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s, all that time period, um, the, the ACC champion, w- w- there was no regular season championship. The ACC champion was the tournament champion. And, and uh, North Carolina used to hang banners for regular season championships. And it really kind of upset other programs. You know, they're going, there is no regular season championship. <laughs> that's, that's right. But Dean, Dean thought the regular season was more valuable. And then later on, the, the league recognized regular season championships, but they didn't do it at that time. If you didn't win the tournament, you couldn't legitimately call yourself ACC champion, but they did it anyway. And it was things like that that really, you know, there were all kinds of things. You know, the, the stuff that, that now... Dean Smith is celebrated for like uh, you know every time somebody would get an assist the the guy that scored the basket would point at the guy that passed and everybody that came out of the game the entire team would stand up and applaud for the player that came out of the game stuff like that you know coaches would be what are you doing I mean this is ridiculous you know, stuff like that they would always uh, rail about it privately nobody would ever say it publicly but but you know I, I think Lefty was one of those and uh, and. Everybody compared to Dean, and Coach K went through it too. Everybody compared to Dean Smith. You know, did they behave the same? Did they do this? And Dean, you know, Dean would get on the officials, and they wouldn't get a technical. Somebody else would do it. They get a technical, and they, they'd rail about that. But it, it was because they were good that everybody was so uh, so got their noses so out of joint. I think Lefty has two things that you know will stand for a long time: Midnight Madness. I mean, because he was a great showman. And the 103-100 overtime game with North Carolina State. I mean, because that changed the field, did it not? Didn't that mean that you could, after that, people said, 
well, we just can't have these conferences and only send one team because those could be two of the three best teams in the country that year. Yeah, it happened other times, too. Uh, it happened with UCLA when Paul Westfall was at USC. USC was probably uh, top five in the country and didn't go to the tournament because they, they, you know, they didn't beat UCLA. Um, and, uh, and same thing in the ACC. But that game probably, there were a lot of things that happened in the ACC at that time that led to change. That was one of them. Uh, it, it, that was kind of a last straw type deal, or one of the last straws. And uh, the other was the shot clock when, uh, when you know Ralph Sampson's Virginia team played North Carolina. The game was in the 40s because yeah. Carolina held the ball, and uh, uh, you know so that kind of led to help lead to the 45 second shot clock, which was too long. But we got there eventually. But yeah, that 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 was part of it. And it, it just pointed up, you know, that there was so much. You, you had a game like that, that overtime game, you know, in the 103, 104, whatever it was. And, uh, and that team was capable of winning the whole thing, but they weren't allowed to play in it and had to go to the NIT. It was kind of absurd. Um, Lefty took four different teams and won 100 games at least at four different schools. He's the only person who's ever done that. He is derided sometimes as a coach, but you had to prepare to play his teams. What did you think of him as a coach? Great. Um, and, and in complete control of what was going on. I think Lefty was really smart, as you know, but yeah. he didn't project himself as smart. He had a, an every, you know, every man personality, and he didn't, um, he didn't lead with you know, sort of his intelligence as the lead story, you know, he's, he could be very folksy. And, uh, um, and I, I think people got fooled by that. Uh, and, uh, they, they took a result and, and I, maybe I'm overstating this, uh, but, but I don't think people understood, had the, the, the tools to understand the game like they do now. And I do think these analytics, whether it's KenPom.com, you hear it all the time. Yeah. People say, you know this team's not not great defensively. They rank seventy third in, in you know adjusted defensive efficiency or something. They, they're not able to tell you why, but but they have that tool now, and uh, and they didn't have that back then. So you were going off of kind of what you felt rather than uh, than than data. Um, so maybe I think that's part of it. But uh, Lefty was an unbelievable guy. And uh, you knew him far better than I did, but I knew him pretty well. And uh, uh, I love talking to him because every time I talk to him, I lo- you know, I had a different perspective afterwards, and I laughed my my tail off. I mean, he yeah. was so funny, and uh, he he could he was usually funny intentionally, and even sometimes unintentionally. And yeah. uh, we just don't have characters like that anymore. It's so corporate now. And, uh, and I don't, that's not a bad thing, um, because I would be corporate now too, because it, it avoids a lot of problems, but, uh, but lefty would, I mean, I can't imagine how much fun it was talking to him after a game or going into a press conference because you knew you were going to get something. And, uh, and now, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a crowbar to get, get a quote out. of. Somebody. Oh no, it was absolutely fabulous until he stuck his finger in your chest and you say, why don't we go outside and fight? And you go, what, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Jay, thank you so very much. Next time we'll talk about the tournament, but not this time. This time was all lefty. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Tony. Thank you. Jay Billis, boys and girls, who actually should be the president of the NCAA, will take a break, and we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Fantastic. That's the John B. Dye school chorus from Virginia Beach. I can imagine the teacher saying, you have to do this. doesn't matter who he is. It's required. You have to do this. You'll never graduate. You'll never get into a good college unless you sing this song. It's wonderful. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel app? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, my friend, and you will be thrilled. That's How are, it the, for trash, us. How are the trash cans today? Well, Nigel uh, smashed into one, knocked it over uh, as he drove here. <laughs> smashed into one. Yes. I didn't, but picked didn't need it up. that today. Yeah. No, not today. But he picked it up picked and it up everything with... will be fine. Yes. 
Um, before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, children behave. That's what they say when we're together. And watch how you play. They don't understand. And so we're running just as fast as we can, holding on to one another's hand, trying to get away into the night. And then you put your arms around me and we tumble to the ground. And then you say, I think we're alone now. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. I think we're alone now. The beating of our hearts is the only sound. That is one of the more underrated songs of all time. That's Tommy James and the Shondells, one of the more underrated groups of all time, because people say, Moni, Moni, who cares? <laughs> but this is a great tune. I Think We're Alone Now is a great yes. tune. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Jay Billis. Thanks as well to today's sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple. Please leave us a review. Okay. So from Ted Lehman, who we remember from last week, Ted Lehman is the voice of the, oh, the, um, the ice dogs, right? Yeah, of the Niagara ice dogs. Holiday Monday bus ride with the ice dogs to Oshawa or Oshawa to play the Generals, the junior home of the greatest player of all time, Bobby Orr. Sorry, Mike. You are the gift that keeps on giving. After you opened your podcast with my last email, I got a call from the Laura Littles podcast. I ended up guesting on their Friday show. Chuck and Roxy just stealing us, <laughs> stealing us blind, talking about you, OHL hockey, and the ice dogs. We should set up a time where you can guest on my on our broadcast. I think you owe me it for no other reason than you stole my baseball team. I saw my first Major League Baseball game in Montreal in June of 1969. My father could always top that by telling me he saw Jackie Robinson. By the way, a game at Parc Jerry cost 95 cents, including the bus ride there and back. Oof. Thanks for a fun few days. Keep waving the flag, Ted Lehman. It's really so nice. Um, Mick McCabe in Allen Park, Michigan. This is a great email. If Roger Goodell is serious about keeping this Taylor Swift NFL thing going, all he has to say is, with the first selection of the 2024 draft, the Chicago Bears select Taylor Swift. <laughs> How do you think Wilbon will like them donuts, huh? <laughs> John Smith in Toronto. Uh, hey, your story last Friday about Caitlin Clark and the part about her amazing passing abilities, you mentioned two of the most amazing passers you recall. Not two of. The two. The two. The two. That's the Pete Maravich and Ernie DiGregorio made my day and my weekend. I live in Toronto, which is not a western Midwest or any west city. As a kid at Hodgson Middle High School back in 1974, our gym coach, Mr. Brown, was able a few times that season to secure tickets, mostly for the basketball team members to see the Buffalo Braves play at Maple Leaf Gardens. Braves won more games than the Leafs ever did. They played in Toronto a few times during the season, and for a dollar, we got to see the Braves and, of course, star guard Ernie DiGregorio. Mr. Brown told us to watch his passing, and wow, could he pass the ball, simply beyond others on the court. The 1973 Rookie of the Year set shooting records, as well as setting records assists for a Braves season with 663. He was, as Mr. Brown said, the funnel from which the bulk of the Braves' points emanated. Be the funnel, Mr. Brown said. None of us were funnels. We did reduce turnovers, but did not increase assists or points. He was my favorite then and now. Great player, awesome name, great fun to watch. I'm glad people remember it. And of that same era... Did you see what Rick Pitino did the other day where he just killed his team? Yeah, lit into his team. He said, they're not athletic, I'm not having any fun, the facilities here stink. Like, you didn't know this about St. John's growing up on Long Island? You didn't know this? You didn't know the facilities stink? Really? You didn't know that? So from Bayonne Jean, we hope some scribe at the coach's postgame ran had the nerve to ask, is Louis Carnesecca walking through that door? That's a great one. This is a uh, great and long email, um, and we're going to read every word of it. It's from Michael Ritz, and he writes, It was wonderful to hear Louisa Thomas speaking about Taylor Swift on a recent podcast. He made passing mention that her husband played in the NFL. Her husband is John Urschel, or should I say Dr. John Urschel, who received his Ph.D. No honorary doctorate here, from a little school in Cambridge known as MIT, where he is currently an assistant professor. Urschel played his college ball at Penn State, where he received the William V. Campbell Trophy, awarded to the college football player who best combines academics, community service, and on-field performance. The Campbell Trophy is considered to be the academic Heisman. He graduated from Penn State with undergraduate and master's degrees in mathematics and was drafted in the fifth round by the Baltimore Ravens. While playing for the Ravens, Urschel maintained a full-time schedule at MIT. He retired after three seasons to follow his true passion for theoretical mathematics, completed his doctorate in 2021. By the way, his autobiography, Mind and Matter, A Life in Math and Football, is a great read and was co-authored with his wife. I didn't know any of that. That's pretty I, You know, <laughs> that's really impressive. MIT, they're pretty smart there, right? That's the number one. Uh, it's one, Caltech is two. <laughs> yeah, no, no legacies. <laughs> yeah. No legacies, yes. kids. Bill Quinn in Holbrook, New York. I sent this email every year, but it never makes past the Great Wall of Nigel. And this is this last weekend, so we missed it. We missed it. We screwed up. 
18 girls volleyball teams from Long Island will be making my annual pilgrimage across the Bay Bridge to the D.C. area for one of the largest girls volleyball tournaments on the East Coast. Take that, spooky nook. I'm the girls' director of Long Island Volleyball Academy. We have girls from ages 12 to 18 competing in the Capitol Hill Volleyball Classic. I'm writing to request to be the official girls' volleyball director of the Tony Kornheiser Show. If that's not possible, it is possible. Don't worry about it. I was hoping you'd give a shout-out to my 16 red team and wish us good luck. I'm sorry we're late on this. Nigel has to reset the board. Yes. I'd also like to invite any other littles attending the tournament to swing by our court. Give us a shout-out to the cheesery. I won't be able to return the official TK salute, as I'm not sure if any of the parents of my team are littles and may get me in some trouble at a youth volleyball event. Very nice. From Brett Hobbs in Linton, Indiana. You have mouse trouble? I have feral cat issues. I think we can help each other out. <laughs> I'd be glad to deliver. P.S. Eat it, Lee Panic. From Chris, Chris Tui in Rock City Falls, New York. I don't know where that is. Rock City Falls. Rock City, Maybe it's near Glens Falls. I don't know. Would you wear sleeping pants on a making walk, or are they strictly for sleeping? I'll hang up and listen. You know, when the dog's in a making walk, I'm in real clothing. I'm not going outside in sleeping pants. From Matthew Swap um, in Boston Lake, New York, which is upstate. I began listening to the show in San Diego in the early 20s when I found I could download episode from your days at WTEN. You recently read an email from a listener who attended Naval Nuclear Power School in Orlando, Florida in the early 90s, who later continued on to become a rare nuclear-trained submarine warfare-qualified sports writer. And I nearly shouted, I know that guy. You see, I too attended Naval Nuclear Power School in Orlando, Florida in the early 90s. However, my graduating class was 412 sailors. And thanks to criminally inexpensive beer at the on-base package store, a good chunk of that year is, let's say, a little fuzzy. I went on to serve in the USS Abraham Lincoln, an aircraft carrier, and later fell in love with the wine business. Currently own a fine wine shop in the Saratoga Springs area. I would stump to be the official rare nuclear-trained surface warfare qualified certified wine educator of the Tony Corners show. But I have a fragile ego and would hate to find out I don't top that list. Do you think anyone else is on that list? That is so specific, Matthew. No, the pod gets me through the morning, so keep it up, old sport. Here is a Rock City, by the way, directly south of uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. Okay, western New York. Yeah. Upstate and western. From Eric Cronman from Sterling, Virginia, but originally Long Island. This is an interesting one. I mean, they're all interesting, but I know many College of William & Mary alums who are littles, myself included. When you vented on Monday, and Steve Sands seemed to agree on Wednesday about how bad Waste Management's logo is, something along the lines of that W&M and the green and gold, I think we all cringed a little bit. Hey, those are our letters, and those are our colors. Who exactly are we talking about here? Waste Management are one of the only schools participating at a D1 level since the modern 64-team NCAA basketball tournament was created in the 80s to still never make it into March Madness. We root every year for William and Mary to make it every year. As a quick aside on waste management, as a kid, I was visiting my snowbird grandparents in southeast Florida, and we were enjoying sightseeing of the beautiful homes and yachts on the Fort Lauderdale water taxi. I still remember one of the most impressively named yachts was Wayne Heisenga's Business Stinks. That's funny. He invented waste management. That was one of his companies. That's Business right. Stinks is, is very that. literal. Yeah. Um, no, I love William and Mary. I, I just think that the WM logo, which is gigantic, and which stands for garbage trucks, is different than William and Mary. It's just different. From Graham Larson in Los Angeles, quote, chicken is a cleaner canvas. Wait, did I hear that right? That is absolutely incredible. Did Anthony Bourdain and Mary Cassatt have a love child? P.S. If you're reading this email on the air, it's my third one. Dynasty of none, you ask. Not so fast, Sparky. And Wilbon, yeah, he can eat it. Michael, you said that, right? Chicken is a cleaner uh, canvas. I don't remember. I thought that would be something you would say. Uh, There's a certain I, I, poetry to it. I you recall think, you saying Did that. I say it? Yes. All right, I'll That's why that. you like to work with it. It's a cleaner canvas, I as like you said. Uh, from William Wiseman, although a long-time listener is going back, going back to your network radio show as well as PTI, this is my first contribution to the mailbag. It is prompted by my having seen the great Dan Byrne in concert last week in Ann Arbor. In fact, it was the night after the show in Pittsburgh from which he played a clip as Monday's introduction to the mailbag. It was a marvelous performance, and the small but enthusiastic crowd loved it. Had a chance to meet Dan after the show. Shaking his hand, I told him I'd become acquainted with his music through this high-quality podcast. His face lit up as he said, you're a little, to which I replied, la cheeserie, and we high-fived. Our conversation continued for about five minutes with him asking me questions about what I did with a genuine interest in my answers. He's a wonderful performer. But seems like an even nicer person. Thanks for all the laughs and entertainment over the years, Bill Wiseman. It's very nice to know that Dan Byrne in person is great. Oh, yes. Very nice to know. Yes, From Mark Lynch absolutely. in North Camby, Indiana. A recent emailer mentioned living in North Austin. This seems to be the height of Wilbonian pretension. <laughs> Are all cities doing this now? From North Camby, Indiana. From Patrick Smith in Annandale, Virginia. This is a message from Patrick Sitter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. 
I was pretty confident that my emails were neither smart nor funny because Mr. Tony didn't read them, but thanks for the confirmation. However, I do have a Chuck and Roxy number, so I have that going for me. Number 62, which makes me the Jason Kelsey or Sean Doolittle, I guess. I guess you could say I'm the Beltway Mitterrand of emailers to the Tony Kornheiser Show. P.S. Chuck and Roxy would love to have you on the podcast. Number 300 is available. I'll bet. (laughs) Uh, Justin Johnson, Arlington, Virginia. Last Wednesday's show when an email from Steve the Sycophant began this Sunday, February 18th. I thought he was announcing my birthday and reminding Tony to be expecting a call from me since that is how it works on birthdays and all. I was mistaken, though. He was just letting everyone know about the other major event that day, the Fairfax Wind Symphony's 3 p.m. concert at Katherine Johnson Middle School. Please send my regrets to Steve and Charlie Birch, says I. Unfortunately, won't be able to make it due to being out of town. I hope many littles do attend. I hear they do covers of Victor Wembanyama and I have a piano <laughs> during the on. Put it on Leo. You're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always. Do wear white.
take my hand and pull me through Lift me out of this pit of anger Left or right, which way is home? Take me home, take me back I'm to the place where I can truly relax Take me home, show me Place where I can truly relax. 